0: Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Tyler Bushnell, who's the founder and CEO of Polycade, the only arcade machine that's been designed for classic and modern games, giving you the ability to play everything from the best new indies, retro classics, or the most graphics-intensive modern fighters. In this episode, we talk about how Polycade got started why Tyler wanted to use Kickstarter, his experience with using the platform to raise funding for Polycade, how he ended up building the prototypes for Polycade and really scaling that up from the first initial ones he was creating himself to then growing even further. Tyler's experience with Techstars and the Techstars Accelerator and why he decided to go through that, what his experience was like. The team behind Polycade today, their customer acquisition strategy, licensing, how they've leveraged influencer collaborations, and much, much more in this episode. As always, the show notes are just slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models, Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure gave clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com, and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Tyler Bushnell, founder and CEO of Polycade. Tyler, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Justin.
0: Yeah, and with Polycade, there's so much to discuss with this, but one of the things I wanted to talk about... Is with the Kickstarter? How did you decide to do the Kickstarter for Polycade? At what point did that kind of come into play?
1: Yeah, so so um, you know, creating the Polycade project came from a, a, a couple places. Um, you know, really, the the core thesis was that um, gaming. You know, everyone likes video games, but not everyone's a gamer. Yeah, um, and. And so in thinking about that, you know, every time I'd hang out with some friends that, you know, none of them own Xboxes or any kind of gaming device, uh, you you put a controller in their hand and, and select the right game uh, and they love it, you know. And so it, to me, there was a disconnect in, in uh, the gaming industry and like the everyone that sort of doesn't consider themselves a gamer. Um, so that was kind of like the, the source of the idea. Um, but... Uh, I also kind of wanted an arcade machine in in my house. Um, (laughs) And and so those ideas kind of came together. And, uh, you know, I figured like, hey, an arcade machine is like got this sort of naturally like approachable aspect to it. It's uh, social by nature. Right. It's super casual. You don't have to like commit to it. Right. Sit down and turn on the TV and the Xbox and pick up the controllers and get it all going. Right. It's just the arcade machine is always ready to go. Um, so, uh, you know, I got around to, uh, prototyping and building and, and my wife's an interior designer. So. Um, she, you know, when I told her I was going to put an arcade machine in the living room, she said that it's absolutely not. Um,
0: it's <laughs> a hard yeah, pass.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, No, you're not. That's, that's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I was like, we can solve this. Let's like solve this with design. What if it looked like that? Um, we got through that and then, uh, you know, I had a product that I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. Um. <laughs> You know maybe other people want this too and uh you know kickstarter is a really killer platform uh in that it allows you to really test something right um in fact my dad always told me growing up you know if you're if you think you've got like a good idea uh design the box first Hmm. Uh, this was you know back in the 80s when everything came in a box um and so, but, but I think this applies also to like a Kickstarter campaign where in a lot of ways it's, it's the box. Um, and so what's cool about a Kickstarter is that you can, you can launch a product um, and see if people would, you know, put their money where their mouth is and buy it. Um, and you can do all that before you've really spent much money on it. You know, I mean, I, I before we launched a Kickstarter, I put a bunch of money into uh, prototyping and stuff, but you know, that's different from going out to a manufacturer and saying, Hey, I want a hundred of these. And I'm got my fingers crossed that people are going to want to buy them. Yeah. Um. So, so Kickstarter was like just the really a, a great platform for, for me to, to just see like, Hey, does, do other people think this is cool? And is it worth me spending more time on?
0: Absolutely. And, and with the Kickstarter too, and I definitely want to go back to the founder story and more around kind of getting that prototype even, but, on the Kickstarter note, how long did you prepare this thing? As it is a sales pitch, and it, there's a lot that goes into it for people who are considering going this route. I'm curious, it's like how much prep went into that side of things to get this ready to go?
1: Uh, quite a bit, actually. So, so getting you know, you can a Kickstarter campaign again. It's a it's a sales pitch, so you've got to have good images. You've you know, the the video is really important. Um, the Kind of the whole construction of the campaign is quite important, uh, and so you want to put a fair amount of time in that into that. Um, there's a uh, let me see who is it? Tim Ferriss, I believe, has a um a like, and this is now like four or five years old, but he's got he a, a
0: blog, a, right?
1: Yeah, he's got a blog, and and he's you know one of his posts is how to raise a hundred thousand dollars on kickstarter yep um in i think like 10 steps or something
0: it's funny you mentioned that i really just saw it recently it's like hacking kickstarter or something something e- something yeah
1: that's exactly yeah. it yeah <laughs> yep, yeah I'm yeah that. so that was kind of like my one guide uh that i used for for launching our kickstarter um and so he's got some tactics in there that are uh things like you know uh reaching out to a bunch of bloggers that you think you know write to people who would appeal to your product. Um, so, uh, what I did leading up to the Kickstarter is I reached out to maybe 20 different like writers and bloggers, and I said, "Hey, like, would you write an article about this Kickstarter that I'm launching on the day that it launches?" Um, and basically got no responses except for one one guy uh, who just so happened to also be my number one choice. Um, was a writer uh, named Randy Slavy for um, uh, Geek Dad um, is the blog's name. And so, um, you know, I offered Randy, I was like, hey, like, I'll put you in as a backer to write the, the article. You know, I think it'll be important for us. Um, and so he did. He, he wrote a great art. Actually, he also not only did he write the article, but uh, I'd sent him the Kickstarter campaign in advance so that he would know what to write about. And he's like, oh, we got to rewrite your Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, shit. What <laughs> <laughs> <And laughs> more so, work to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he was nice enough to take a crack at that. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, we and we got it done. And he, he launched the article on the day that uh, our Kickstarter went live. Um, and uh, And then, you know, within a few days, I I don't know if other people had seen his article or what, but that's what I assume, um, because a bunch of other blogs picked us up.
0: That's awesome. And with that, then what was the the traction you were getting with that? Because I know you know in in the end ended up raising at least from what I've seen online, one hundred twenty five thousand dollars from one hundred eighty nine backers. But how quickly did that kind of come about?
1: So um, we got a nice little bump in the beginning um, for a few reasons. Um, You know, Kickstarter, you've got a lot of uh, sort of uh, tactics that you can use to help uh, make sure that people opt in. Um, so, for example, where we set the price for a polycade at 1550, uh, we offered 10 of them at 1250, 10 at 1350, and 10 at 1450. So, uh, the folks that got to the campaign first were like, "Oh, I'd best." you know, I, I don't want to sit on this and see how it goes for a few weeks. I should pull the trigger now, um, because I'm going to get a better deal. Um, so the, uh, the other thing that was kind of interesting about this is that, you know, when you launch Kickstarter, you want to tell all of your friends and family that this is happening because that's like your primary emailing list at that point, probably. Right. Yeah. Um, so one thing that was kind of elegant that we didn't realize was that, uh, you know, we told all our friends and family, like, hey, the Kickstarter's live, like go like, you know, put a dollar on it or something. <laughs> um and they all went and ordered the cheapest machines. So <laughs> Oh wow.
0: <laughs> like or just drop by twelve hundred or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so it was cool because we we kinda got our our friends and family all discounts. Um without having to do anything special. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing. And then from that too, did you have a certain amount that you were looking for in terms of that backing and, and how did that go in terms of the actual amount you ended up being?
1: You know, to me it it was uh there were a couple ways that it could shake out. You know, I think I set the the um, minimum at twenty grand. And so, you know, I was imagining okay, in that scenario I'm I'm making like ten arcade machines out of my garage basically. Um <laughs> You know, and sending those out um, versus uh, what we ended up selling was roughly 75 machines, uh, which hit that mark of like, okay, we've got to like figure out like very real ways to get this done. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and then also coming back to your your previous question, um, with the growth of the backing in the Kickstarter where we got an, a good initial bump um, from friends and family and then and then Randy's article. Um, with each article or otherwise that we saw come out, we got a little bump. And then at one point uncrate picked us up. Um, that was maybe like a week or two into the campaign. Uh, and as soon as they posted about it, we got like, I don't know, 30 people signing up for machines. Wow. Wow.
0: And it goes yeah. to show, obviously, that that side of things how big that is, and even for perspective from people. I mean, this was what 2016, 2017 You were doing yeah. this Kickstarter, okay, sixteen, yeah, yeah. two thousand sixteen. Yeah, so it's, actually exactly different.
1: It's fifteen, actually, sorry, um, two thousand fifteen. Yeah, in November two thousand fifteen. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. And even now, there's a number of different, whether it be Kickstarter for products specifically, but then different crowdfunding platforms, which having those backers is important because they are your evangelists of sorts to kind of help you along the way. Yeah. One thing. One thing I want to go back to, though, because we can't just gloss over this, getting getting the prototype side of things. Like, take me through that process. I, I'm assuming it took some time, took some capital. Uh, how did that go? From going from okay, I need an, a, a beautiful machine that I can have in my living room, so my wife allows it, and also like that is functional, that does everything we want. Like, how did that kind of go with the prototype?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm I'm like a, a read the whole menu kind of guy. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, restaurants or otherwise, I'm like, I want to know everything that's available before I make my decision. Um, and I, I kind of took that same approach um, in building the arcade machine. So I'm originally a software engineer. Um, I've, you know, built my share of PC computers and uh, played with, you know, dabbled in hardware here and there. Um, but uh, this would probably be, this was the, the biggest hardware um, project I had ever taken on. Um, and so I spent a lot of time, um, buying random, like various hardware, uh, arcade components that I could find, um, tested, you know, 10 different types of buttons and like, oh, maybe like, uh, I don't know, eight different t- eight to 10 different joysticks. Uh, I really got, got deep and figured out, you know, what's different about these. Um, what does the community think about them? Um, you know, how do you connect them into the computer and and all that? Uh, So I I really went deep on, on the hardware. Um, I didn't want to just do what people were saying to do online because um, the kind of the farther I got into it, the more I sort of discovered new things that I hadn't really read about online. And so it was like, okay, there's something more here that people are missing. They're, they're looking at it from sort of tunnel vision. Um, And so Spend a lot of time on the prototyping. Uh, What was shown in the Kickstarter was actually, so we originally started with a a Raspberry Pi based system, um, aiming to uh, make the the machine as cheap as possible. Um, And so uh, what was shown on the Kickstarter was really, really raw, uh, hacky unit. Uh, It worked pretty well at the time, but... um, you know once we thought about or i thought about shipping 75 of these across the the country it was super clear that that was not going to be a good idea <laughs> um and so uh once the kickstarter finished i spent mm, about a year um prototyping further and figuring out how to get you know a bunch of machines manufactured in a, a sensible way um so it's interesting because You know, what we went into the Kickstarter with, uh, we came out actually with a completely different product. Um, The the overall shape of the cabinet, for the most part, stayed the same. Um, But uh, we actually, I I changed it quite a bit from what was advertised on the Kickstarter. Um, One side effect of that was that the price went up. um, And so that was kind of like a sticking point for a lot of our Kickstarters, um, where, you know, starting with a Raspberry Pi, and then shifting over to a gaming PC is about a $500 difference. Oof. Um and so we pretty much told all our kickstarters like hey, like this is the route we're going to go. Um if you want to stick with the the Raspberry Pi setup, we'll we'll set that up for you, but uh you know, here's the problems that we've found with that build. Um because we did find quite a few problems that were that at the time we we were like this uh, these are not overcomeable in in a short time frame. Um, so you know the What were some of th- those
0: problems? Just curious.
1: Yeah, so Raspberry Pi has um, uh, sort of like this uh, power problem where uh, if you shut it off at the wrong time, it kind of like wipes doesn't wipe it it corrupts the SD card. Hmm. Um, and this is just kind of like a hard fail. The only way to fix that from there is to start with a new SD card, really. Ooh. <laughs> um, and there's not like a great workaround for this. Um, you know, the the unit doesn't have a power button. Um, and it, yeah, it has to do with just shutting it off at the wrong time. So that was, that was the biggest issue. Um, but beyond that, um, there's no way to legally get games for it. Also um, tricky then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you know, we're with our Kickstarter. We were like, we advertised some games that it was going to come with, and we were thinking like, okay, like we'll be able to get these. You know, at the time, I didn't know anything about game licensing, um, but I, uh, as a dreamer and a, a an optimist, I figured, hey, we'll we'll be able to get some of these titles at least. Um, and so you know, yeah.
0: I was just curious, what was the response uh, when people were, you told them, okay, well, we have to switch systems because this is obviously for the better of the product. It's going to be better overall and everything, but it's going to cost more money. What was the the response like from people?
1: Uh, Most people didn't really mind. Um, They were like, hey, that does sound better. Um, (laughs) Let's go that route, you know? Um, And then, uh, you know, we also put that in the context of like a lot of other options as well. So it was like you could, you know, it, an interesting thing we found with a product in general is that, you know, if you price a basic version at uh, 2500 and then the the good version is $3,000, uh, about 95% of people buy the, the $3,000 one. Um, and so uh, regardless of how much better it is, I mean, we actually did that and um, the better one was more complicated. We called it the pro version and we had a, you know, everyone was buying that and then they'd get it and like be confused about the parts that were complicated. And so it was like, well, you weren't supposed to buy that one. Um, <laughs> but you know, you that's, know. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's our fault at the end of the day. Right. Like, of course. Of course. So we ended up uh, just a couple side notes there, but, uh, so really, you know, for the most part, it wasn't a problem for the Kickstarters. Um, a, a number of folks, uh, opted for a refund which is you know something that we offered as an alternative um but you know out of our 75 machines i think we did like three refunds um not bad at all yeah i will also say that we were about a year late on shipping um and so you know i think we reached a part a point with a lot of our kickstarters where they're like i'll pay Extra, like just get me the freaking thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, well, it's we, nice uh, to have a
0: product that people want that badly that are still willing to stick around. Obviously, there's a need then, so at least that's some consolation for you guys.
1: Yeah, totally. And and you know, I mean, getting a, a hardware company off the ground as a single person is um, hard. Uh, so you know, the the initial um, getting those initial units out was was definitely a trick.
0: One thing I want to talk about just briefly with this as well. I know you mentioned kind of uh, understand there's a pro version, only 500 bucks more when you look at 2,500 versus 3,000 or something, but how did you overall approach pricing for this? Because there's a lot of ways to go with it. Uh, It's a unique product. I'm I'm just curious on how you kind of approach that side of things.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we started out aiming for the cheapest machine possible. Um, The cheapest good machine possible, like full size experience and and that kind of thing. Um, We ended up, uh, moving away from that, just because what uh, there's a lot of a there's a lot of that out there already, and um, and then b what we ended up with with the the PC-based machine, um, we used specific types of controls that uh, really allowed you to use uh, the arcade machine for tons of modern games, not just the retro stuff, um, and so. It, it just seemed like this way better, more interesting product, right? That that with vastly deeper capabilities than anything else I would seen on the market ever before. So, where we started out going cheap, we actually ended up uh, going the route of let's make the best one that is on the market and offer it at a super fair price. Um, so pricing has always been an interesting one. Um, you know, when you whenever you're pricing something, you're looking at like what else people can get uh, in your product category for what price. Um, and, uh, you know, for us, we started out at a price point around 2,500 bucks. Uh, our product today is about, is three, nine is almost, is $4,000. Um, we should be charging 6,000 for our product today. Um, (laughs) but you know, the, the goal is to make the best machine at the, Fairest price, um, and so uh, we we definitely have that now. Uh, we do get asked a lot, like, "What's why is this more expensive than this twenty five hundred dollars machine uh, offered by someone else?" And it's really night and day. You know, one one mis- thing that we haven't fully figured out even today is uh, how to convey the quality through photos. Okay.
0: Yeah, without using it, (laughs) without actually using the machine and understanding the experience and everything.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can't tell you how many of our customers receive the machine and they're like, wow, this is quite a bit nicer than I was expecting. (laughs)
0: I <laughs> get those testimonials, just put those out in the world. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like Here we go. Here's like a thousand people using this. And like, this is why we're charging this. This is why it's a steal.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Tyler, one thing I want to go back to too, with, um, with understanding the Kickstarter, so the Kickstarter closes and you said you spent like a, a year or so really developing the product from there. Take me through what that year was like after you had the initial funding. Uh, I'm curious about that to make this actually, you know, a viable product even back then.
1: Yeah, so it was, uh, it was pretty stressful. I mean, the, you know, I basically spent a ton of time testing different hardware, putting things together, you know, I mean, with when you finish the Kickstarter, you have a price point that you're trying to stay under. Um, And so as you're digging through just tons of components from Alibaba and, you know, just all everywhere you can find on the Internet, um, it's it's tricky. Um, So, you know, I mean, I I tested so many, so much different hardware. Um, We started kind of one one of the ways that um, I deployed the initial machines was saying like, hey, we're going to get machines out to everyone that is a backer in Los Angeles. Um, because that basically will allow me to stay close to those machines geographically. Um, and so what we'll, we'll do is we'll put out these, you know, 10 machines that are how we think we want to build them, um, and see what happens. Uh, and that was, that turned out to be a great strategy um because before we had ended up shipping machines around the country we, we changed out. Like, I also say, we, when it was just me the whole time, <laughs> 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 kind of like practicing, but, uh, <laughs> and it's funny when you're like a, a one guy company and people call and they're like, you, you gotta say we, because.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Makes you sound bigger for sure. Yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> it's like, it's
0: like, well, our team is working hard to, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's obviously it's... you're the founder though. But yeah,
1: <laughs> that's um, tricky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So so there was, um, yeah, c- quite a bit of that and, and uh, you know, testing, ordering parts, um, sending out a few machines, and then we ended up swapping out a lot of the components for more reliable things.
0: Take me through then with those people that had those initial machines, especially in Los Angeles then, I mean, were you just sending them out and asking like the feedback side of them? I'm curious as to how you went about that, getting feedback from these initial customers that would kind of dictate what happen in the future like what were you doing at that point
1: uh that so i didn't do much actively there um i, I got them the machines and uh and usually if there was something wrong they'd come to me so uh so i kind of got the feedback naturally that way um people saying like hey the speakers are like popping and stuff um joystick doesn't work or whatever it was and so i'd, I'd go and like you know, fix that machine on site and hmm. figure out what was going on and, and kind of take that info back and, and, you know, modify the, the next few machines that I was putting out. So like in that, at that time I was, I had a little workshop and uh, I was assembling all the machines myself. Uh, wow. I had a, manu- a manufacturer that was doing the woodwork. So I'd get the cabinets delivered. Um, but you know I'd load them up with the components I'd build the computers and and do all of that myself. Um, so intimately familiar with the product and and as things started to get weird with certain clients I could go back and uh, you know revise
0: yeah, absolutely and and one thing with that too then understand that you were doing that initially and like really you have a, a feel for the product itself. I mean you're hands- on literally hands- on with with the business then a- at what point did you decide that okay, I want to go through tech stars. I want to go through an accelerator for this. I'm curious as to how that evolved into, into that.
1: Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, running, uh, getting started with polycade was, uh, kind of a long, um, you know, as, as we've been discussing from prototyping and all that. Um, but then, you know, once that 125 K runs out, um, and you're paying rent and, and all, you know, lots of other expenses. Um, yeah. You reach a point where, you know, you A, need help, right? There's uh, more work than you can overcome yourself. Um, and uh, and especially when you're doing hardware, depending on, you know, there's, there's actually really interesting ways to get hardware built today that doesn't cost a lot of upfront cash. Uh, but at that time, I didn't know that. Um, and so the manufacturers I was working with were like, Hey, we need 50 grand to get started on the next set of units. And I didn't have 50 grand. Uh, so, (laughs) so you kind of, I was reaching this point where we were spending more than we were making. Um, and I just wasn't sure how to take, get the business to the next level and, you know, I've, I, I come from a, a family of entrepreneurs and there's lots of ways to do that. Um, the, you know, my brother and my dad would probably be the the most experienced entrepreneurs in the family and they both have their way of going about that. Um, and I was pretty sure that that way was not mine. Um, so I wanted to get outside help. I wanted something that was like, more official training in a sense. Yeah. Um, and because I'd have had a lot of informal training. Um, and so, so it was at that time that, that we went out and started, uh, applying to a couple different things. Um, shark tank, <laughs> which we didn't That's... actually ever, uh, put the application in for, but, um, we did get the one for tech stars in and, uh, and that turned out to be an amazing experience.
0: Yeah. And I want to, I want to go through that experience, but one thing you mentioned that I think we can't just gloss over for people wondering, you you said that it was, it was easier now. and this is obviously we're recording in August of 2020 easier now to get hardware hardware built today with like no upfront costs and stuff. Can you take me through what you like where people can go for that or that side of things a little bit?
1: Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, at the time when I got started with this, I didn't know the term contract manufacturer. Um, And that's the key term that you need in getting something built. Um, So, you know, I was like looking for wood shops and stuff like that, um, cabinet shops. Um, And when you're dealing with some, a company that, that is in the business of manufacturing products, um, they are willing often to invest in a product if, uh, if they see that there is business there. So, um, for a Kickstarter is, is an example, the nice thing about a Kickstarter too, is that it's a, it's public numbers about your company. Um, so, you know, if you have a successful Kickstarter and you take that to a contract manufacturer and you're like, Hey, look, uh, you know, in one month I sold 75 of these, um, you know, will you want to build them for me? Um, and so, you know, contract manufacturers are, they're in a commodity business essentially um where there's lots of contract manufacturers um you know they're looking to add products to their um to their quiver and so if you've got uh and sales is a hard thing for them right like finding yeah. new products to build for people is is a kind of a trick um so you find the right outfit and uh you should be able to make a deal that that you know they might take more margin than you'd like but It's better than you opening up a workshop and hiring twenty people (laughs) to manufacture some shit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a little easier for you on that side of things for sure.
1: Yeah, and and and, you know it was I actually had gone down that route of of this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna get uh, you know six thousand square foot workshop. We're gonna hire six people and and manufacture ourselves, and that was definitely the worst idea I've ever had.
0: That, that, I mean, that was, why did you end up going that route though?
1: Uh, so I didn't, I, I talked to a friend. I was like, here's what we're doing. Can you loan me some money so that I can get the, the lease on this 6,000 square foot workshop? And he's like, uh, no, because that's the wrong way to do this. You should get someone <laughs> to build it for you. And I was like, well, let me, okay, let me see. <laughs> and started I'll doing do some, it. yeah, some research and like, he was absolutely right.
0: <laughs> you're, like, you're like, great. Good good to know. Appreciate you, friend. Really, really do. And, yeah. and going, going back to the, the Techstars then, you said it was such a great experience. Like, What happened during those those few months of, of Techstars?
1: It's, so Techstars was, uh, you know, as I'm sort of an introvert, um, and Techstars was a great chance to, A, sort of like rip the Band-Aid off on that. me personally Um, and then it was also nice to have this like formal training around like here's how to run a business here's how to like be a ceo here's you know how to raise money um and getting that kind of like uh training and structure around all of that was extremely valuable for me um and and not only in the sense of like you know here's how to do these things, but also the brainstorming and like how to think about a big business and like what makes it a big business and like what's you know do you want to be in the in the business of selling a four thousand dollar arcade machine? How you know how many of those can you actually sell? Um, you know what's the market size for that and all of that. Um, and so uh, it was a great way to reframe how you think about things. Um and then additionally, uh the network that you come out of Techstars with is like incredible. It's unmatched, you know. I mean, we had mentors in Techstars that you know, a guy that was a three-time founder, right? Where he has like created companies and sold them, and he went through Techstars after doing that three times. And <laughs> And it was like, well, what, what are you getting from this? And he's like, it's about the network, man. Like if I, you know, I'm in here like for the network. So now I, I get to tap into this network and, um, and use it as my own.
0: And to that point then eventually from there, you raised a seed round as well. Then was that through tech stars or the network of people you found through that? I'm just curious on how that went about getting the seed round for podcast as well.
1: Yeah, so so um, TechStars is really uh, is great at, at at teaching around that um, you know fundraising and whatnot. Um, we did our seed round, uh, probably got introductions to uh, over I think it was like a little over 140 different investors. Wow. Um, and just about every single one of those introductions came through the TechStars network. Um, and sometimes not, but, you know, I mean, they, the, they really taught me how to like mine LinkedIn and use your own network as well as the TechStars network to like reach, um, to reach people for warm introductions. Right. Yeah. Um, like a lot of VC websites have that, like, you know, contact us and pitch your business, uh, as like a link on their website. And I, I feel like that's gotta be like, you know, where companies go to die.
0: Um, I've interviewed, uh, probably a dozen, uh, VCs for a different show. And at this point I've talked with probably dozens and they all say warm intros. I mean, that's the number one way you get in contact with
1: them. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah.
0: And from that then, so going through TechStars, great experience, build a network from that you raised a, a seed round as well, uh, because of that. And through that network, you've kind of built along the way as well. Then take me through then what does polycade look like? Today and the current environment with with COVID, how has that affected uh, the business?
1: Yeah, so um, we basically came out of the TechStars program, um, uh, fully targeting the commercial side of the amusement business. Yep. Um, and and so we, you know, our our primary mission in for the last two years was getting Polycades into like bars and restaurants and these other sort of public venues. Um, COVID has, has, uh, caused us to pivot on that, you know, our, our mission has always been, uh, you know, our thesis has not changed. Um, and our mission, our, our roadmap was always to start with the commercial and then move into the home space. Um, so COVID has just kind of switched that around now. Um, we didn't, you know, we lost the time that we spent focusing on commercial space but in terms of product and software we didn't really you know we didn't have to undo anything we're just adding new features that benefit the home user um so previously we were going in that commercial space now we're 100 percent focused on the home
0: yeah and with that too then at, at this point now how i guess i'm curious as to like who is uh, the team behind it now is it just you still? I mean, like how, how has that thing uh, evolved over time? You know, in twenty fifteen, now we're in twenty twenty. How has that evolved?
1: Yeah, so we've got a, a team of ten, um, and they're you know it's a small team of uh, mostly engineers. Um, we we spend most of our time at this point on software, um, and so um, that's been that's been really good. You know, I mean, we were a little bigger before COVID. We had to to slim it down, um, and uh, so that's all. That's all working okay. You know, we've gone full remote. We got rid of the office, um, and uh, that seems to be working pretty well.
0: And then as well now, I mean, how has your kind of uh, customer acquisition strategy evolved? What does it look like today? Especially, you know, you mentioned COVID changing it to really going, targeting the in-home, like how has that evolved and like, what does that look like today in terms of how you're getting the word out about polycaine and really growing?
1: Yeah. So uh, we've, we've always sold direct through our website and, and during COVID we've, um, you know, focused on getting some distributors online. Um, and so. Uh, we've got now got several distributors that will be offering polycades, um, shortly. Um, one who already is, uh, so, so we're, we've, we've added to the, the sort of visibility in that sense. Um, we are also spending most of our time now, um, engineering a few new products, um, with our software platform being kind of the core product. Um, so we're moving into, uh, we're actually going to be launching a second Kickstarter. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's super exciting. Um, and so right now we're just getting everything prepared for that, um, which should, uh, launch this fall.
0: Awesome. I'd definitely be aware of that and happy to help push that out too. And that, when that goes live and and with those things happening, one thing you mentioned a while back in this interview was uh, the licensing side and knowing nothing in the beginning. Take me through that today. What does the licensing side of it look like today with different games that you're offering for PolyCade?
1: Yeah, totally. So licensing is an interesting thing, um, It's especially in today's market. You know, I mean, when we got started in, in 2016, that probably would have been a pretty good time to be um, doing the licensing stuff. Uh, But in the last couple of years, you've got like tons of these cloud gaming startups that have emerged. Um, And so what's happening right now is there's like all of these different game platforms from, you know, even like Epic Games and Discord, Um, you know, Twitch and all these other guys suddenly decided they're going to start selling video games. (laughs) Um, And those are big companies already. Right. So uh, the you know epics going out and like writing these massive checks to game developers um in order to get their games on on the epic platform and uh that makes anyone with a startup you know talking to game developers where you're like hey i'm gonna give you money someday uh (laughs) they're like cool let me know when that's gonna happen (laughs) okay Um, you know, I mean, but it's interesting because it's like, you know, we've got some kick-ass developers and we've, we've managed to lock up a number of retro titles as well. Um, but it is an interesting landscape and, and especially in today's market where there's all of these platforms that are popping up and, and basically creating work for developers and, and so far have made them no money. Um, it's, it's an interesting climate for licensing right now. but you know hey we're we're about to we're gonna be launching our our platform with uh, at least sixty titles, um, some things that you can't get anywhere else um, and so uh, so we're feeling we're feeling quite good about it. Um, we also have a different strategy than most other platforms um, that our licensing is not as Deeply crucial as other platforms, um, because our our software allows you to plug in third-party platforms. Um, so, uh, what that means is is you know you can download our software, you can install it on your PC, um, and then play you know play games with an Xbox controller. Or we've got a, a controller coming out as well. Um, and uh, so, while you can buy games directly through the Polycade platform, uh, you can also plug in third-party platforms. So if you own games on Steam or you own games on GOG, uh, we should have an Epic integration soon. Um, You can connect those accounts of yours into our software, and then our software will pull in all the games from those different sources and kind of aggregate them into one place so that you can browse and choose and play from there.
0: With Polycade as well. I mean, you, you have a lot of different uh, people that have used this and bought this. How has the the press side of it and getting some interesting characters, let's just say, to to use PolyCade helped you kind of grow?
1: Um, yeah, the the you know we've always gone through an organic marketing route. Um, we've attempted to do you know web uh, web ads and and that kind of thing. We've never really seen them uh, do super well for us. Um, what has worked for us in the past uh is influencer um kind of posts and collaborations. Um and so uh and that can be an interesting, interesting uh you know way to go. We've done a lot of uh what you know influencer trades essentially where um XYZ you know musician or rapper uh is interested in getting a polycade. And so we're like, hey, cool, we'll trade you one for uh few posts to your Instagram um and so that's worked pretty well um you know it's both worked well and also worked not at all um so like (laughs) you know Joel Santana for example legend uh I mean he he did a few posts for us and and it did amazing for us um Meek Mill no like <laughs> he, yeah and and the interesting thing too Joels has had 1.7 million followers at the time of his posts um and you know i mean he we got uh, he sent us roughly 16,000 followers and um you know we probably saw 30 sales come out of it uh, eventually over over a course of about a year um sure. and uh you know meek mill did a post for us and we got maybe a thousand followers and that's it. Um, and and me, go ahead. Well, he had at the time had 14 million followers. Right. So, um, (laughs) like more than, uh, you know, seven X what, what jewels had. And, and, you know, you also see like, I mean, if I showed you those posts that the two guys did, uh, you'd be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, like, Joel's put like incredible love into his posts and, you know, Meek like did basically nothing, um, zero effort.
0: Yeah. And it just goes to show like the amount of uh, engagement they get. And then what the effort is on that side, I think is goes a long way in the influencer world. So someone who has an audience that's much smaller, but will they actually push it out? And for me, like, even looking at the podcast, there's been guests that are most definitely smaller, well, you know, less known, but, they actually engage with my posts they push it on their side and it's like no you know it's of course they perform better i mean those episodes perform better you know so it's just like that's kind of how it, how it goes but finding those people is, is critical
1: yeah totally and 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 a lot of you know in in um influencer marketing these days the kind of the running um thing now is that uh, the smaller ones do better
0: yeah it does seem like that especially like the engaged audiences they potentially have
1: yeah precisely and the effort
0: the effort they put into also pushing that stuff out as well i mean that's right that's something i've thought about as i'm looking at sponsors for the show even like that's even like my pitch to other people it's like okay i will be more engaged and more on brand like pushing your stuff out than any bigger audience boy who's like oh yeah I'm just doing that post for them right so it's definitely a leverage point there and um yeah i mean even looking at who you've been featured in everything like architectural digest with Steve Aoki's home. I mean, you're just in a lot of different spots, which is pretty interesting.
1: It's been, it's been great working with a lot of those guys too. Steve, Steve's a super nice guy. Uh, little John is the nicest guy. I mean, I don't want to say one's nicer than the other, but (laughs) (laughs) like,
0: okay, fine, fine. Someone equal niceness. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're
1: really good dudes. Um, and so, so that that's been fun as well.
0: Yeah, and it's just looking at the product, that people take a peek at, at the website and everything and just take a look at it. I mean, it's hard to argue. Like you're bringing people, obviously this is COVID, global you know, pandemic situation, but when you really look at how this brings people together, I mean, that is the draw of it. Like having this thing in your home that people gravitate towards who are who like games or maybe they necessarily don't even love games, but it's just a fun thing to do with your friends, like together. And um, even the, with this kind of global situation we're in now, people still are at home with their family you know and there's still other people involved so like you can definitely have this type of thing and um one thing i wanted to ask about before uh, we have to go here is just like how has your your family your dad uh influenced your kind of entrepreneurial journey uh so far because you have a family of entrepreneurs how has that impacted you
1: yeah so the you know i mean it's growing up with my dad um you know we all uh, as a family we talk about ideas a lot um and and so, you know, you often like have an idea and be like, hey, dad, here's an idea. Uh, what do you think? Um, and he'd be like, well, that wouldn't work because of this. Um, and so <laughs> I
0: nice, love you, too. I'm just yeah, totally. You're like, well, I
1: thought it was a sweet idea, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so you go through that about 100 times and start to figure out like, OK, I see how he thinks and like, why? right like this idea i had was a killer idea if you know it went from zero to a 100 you know and overnight but that's never going to happen right it's got to have like that you know the full path to 100 so so you know you can't just have a good idea there also has to be a path to like make to achieve that idea. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it's always, it it was an interesting training um, throughout the years where I think one of the, the strong things I got out of it uh, was, was sort of how to, to detect like what makes a business like have great potential and um, you know, what makes it hard to achieve and, and some of those kind of things.
0: With with your dad, I mean, for people who don't already know this, I don't know if they will or not, but uh, founded Atari. Was that something where then, like, as a kid even you're talking, like, business side? Like, how early did you start talking about like, the business side of things, of, of gaming? Because obviously, I'm sure you just gamed a lot, assuming uh, you had an Atari or were just playing that. But on the business side, too, like, how early was that even discussed?
1: Uh, you know, I don't remember, but I, I think maybe I don't remember being super interested in that until, sure. like you know, 11 or 12, maybe.
0: Oh, that's still pretty early. (laughs) Earlier than I expected, you're going (laughs) to (laughs) say.
1: Well, I'm I'm guessing it could have been a little later. Um, But but definitely once you kind of, I think, you know, I think actually uh, it would have been when I was around like fifth or sixth grade. So however old you are for that, Um, because then in seventh grade, Magic the Gathering came out and I was obsessed with it and um by eighth grade we my brother and i uh were working with my dad to make our own uh collector card game um and then and we ended up actually my dad went and licensed it to tops um so we we like prototyped the whole thing like figured out how to play we had like you know a thousand different cards we had designed um and Uh, and, and yeah, we actually got a a license out of it. It never actually went to fruition. They ended up not deciding not to move forward with it, but, um,
0: great experience. I imagine though, at that age as well.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally.
0: They just get a taste of business. And that's something, it's interesting to hear different stories from entrepreneurs of how early they started. You have some people who are like, you know, like writing code as kids. And of course they're going to be entrepreneurs and other people who worked corporate jobs for a decade. And then were like, Hey, I'm going to start this business. Right. It just kind of goes to show entrepreneurship can be a lot of different things and there's no set pattern or rule you don't have to be out the womb uh, uh starting businesses you can you can start later in life too just for perspective from people
1: yeah um, absolutely
0: and and tyler just just for people who uh can want to check this out and everything as well like where can people go to learn more about polycade uh and get in touch as well
1: yeah totally uh polycade.com um you know we've got a lot of great photos up there. Um, I'd also check out our Instagram, which is also just Polycade. Um, you know, some good good uh, overview on on product images and stuff there
0: absolutely and i'll be sure to link up everything discussed here in the show notes and even in the fall so this will be released in kind of mid probably well early, early to mid se- uh, september and depending on when the kickstarter goes live i can always put that link in the episode so for people who are listening in the future which is so weird with podcasting how that works i'll be sure to link that up as well so people can uh, check it out but thank you so much tyler for taking the time to come on the show today
1: yeah awesome thanks for having me justin it's been fun
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. You wanna know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies. Every single week, I deliver right to you. JessicaGrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.